welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media by going to Instagram and, f- and searching for, rather, Medium Cool Pod. Uh, we should pop up, and you can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. I'm looking into getting a TikTok, maybe. We'll think about that a little longer. Um, all that said, though, uh, today I have a, an old episode I'm going to play. Let me tell you why. Um, you know, last week was my birthday, which is very fun, and and I had planned on uh, watching Time Bandits and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Those were the two movies I wanted to watch. And then last week, the guest I was going to have on said, wow. Time Bandits is a real slog. I don't know if I can get through it. And then that kind of made me go, well, fuck, I don't know what to do now. So uh, then I decided to do this uh, much bigger piece that I'd been planning on doing later. But I was like, no, I can finish it. And then, um, you know, uh, a close person of in, within our family died and we were gone for, a, you know, a full day on my birthday, like for my birthday and uh, just just all of these things kind of compounded in, into a situation where it was just honestly difficult for me to prepare such a big episode that I wanted to do. And so I decided, you know what, with all that's happening right now, let's just, uh, you know, let's not beat ourselves up about it. Let's just play a really cool episode. And it's funny because this episode was before I got the mic I use now. And it's amazing for me to go back and hear what my old mic sounded like. <laughs> Cause like, it's just like so different, but, uh, <laughs> um, but that said, uh, yeah, I did that. And then, um, I, on Instagram, I posted, uh, my rankings of Quentin Tarantino movies. And this is something that I want to do with various directors. Um, I actually have been preparing other filmmakers as well to post periodically from week to week and not necessarily on like a a routine, but just, you know, when I'm feeling it. And uh, so, yeah, I actually posted the Quentin Tarantino films ranked um, and those are pretty cool graphics and whatnot. Uh, And then uh, I'll probably keep doing that I'm still working with kind of a, a a rebrand of the look of graphics. They look similar, but I'm just like working on some new stuff. And another thing uh, that I am doing that is currently scheduled to post is um, screen cap challenges, which is pretty fun. And I'm going to try to remember to look at like um, the comments and stuff so I can mention that on the show. Uh, that should be fun. I used to do those all the time on my personal Instagram. And so I thought, man, I should do this again. That was really fun. And it'd be fun to see what the medium cool community can come up with and and figure out. So, uh, yeah, we have a few cool kind of social media things. We'll see if I keep it up. You know, you guys know how I am at this point. You know, I try. I just I get busy sometimes. Um, but for now, I have some stuff scheduled out. I have some stuff prepared already. So we should have some fun stuff with that. Um, today, you know, I've been thinking a lot about lately, but today also about some uh, kind of older movies, some classic filmmakers like Hitchcock, uh, Fellini, um, Kubrick, and then, uh, you know, Ingmar Bergman, who we did a, an, uh, or a kind of uh, marathon of that's the word I'm looking for. It was Matthew Sosi and I doing a marathon on Bergman. We did a few episodes um, and we covered, I think we covered like six or eight movies, something like that. And, uh, but it was a while ago. And so uh, I thought I would repost the section of my favorite Bergman movie of date or to date. I don't know why words are so hard today. Um, it has been a lot <laughs> lately, like a lot going on. But um, but anyways, so uh, Wild Strawberries and The Virgin Spring are kind of like my two right now. The ones that I've watched recently enough to have an opinion, those two are up there and they kind of just are neck and neck for me. But in many ways, I appreciate Wild Strawberries more than The Virgin Spring. I think that's what gives it just a slight little edge, even though I adore The Virgin Spring. So I decided to repost um, my talk with Matthew Sosi when we discussed Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries from 1957, the film that he made alongside The Seventh Seal, released the same year. Um, and they are very different movies. Um, and uh, I need to rewatch The Seventh Seal sometime. It's been, I've seen it several times, but it's just all of those times were well over 10 years ago, 15 years plus, maybe. Uh, so it has been too long. 
Uh, all that to say in the outro, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we have coming up and what we have planned for the podcast. But for now, let's go see what Matthew's up to and listen to our conversation about Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries. All right, everybody, we are here to, we are back, rather, to talk about Wild Strawberries from 1957, also written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, starring uh, Victor Herstrom, B.B. Anderson, again, and uh, Ingrid Thulin. And it was released December 26th, 1957. This guy loves his, uh, or wait, 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 wait. That doesn't look right. Hold on one second. Because both of those dates are the same. There's no way that's the same. I actually or think Smiles of a same. Summer Night was uh, December 23rd, but it doesn't matter. The point is in December, the end of December hey. around Christmas time, he loves releasing movies. That's what if we're Will Smith about. could have July 4th for many years, Ingmar Bergman can have any date he wants. <laughs> there. <laughs> the point is, it was released at the end of 1957, and after living a life marked with uh, by coldness, Isaac, a uh, 70-something aging professor, is forced to confront the emptiness of his existence as he travels from his home to an honorary award ceremony where he is the guest of honor. Disturbed In by... Bummersville. <laughs> Bummersville, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Disturbed by a nightmare that he had the night... Uh, before he decides uh, to hit the road and clear his mind rather than fly to the event. One uh, or on, uh, on this road trip, rather, uh, he is accompanied by uh, at different times by his daughter-in-law, Marianne, a rambunctious trio, which includes the great B.B. Anderson and Ooh, a contentious, growl. Uh, <laughs> the growl and a contentious couple after a car wreck. Each of these uh, people force a different perspective for which Isaac reevaluates his past, whether it be through flashback, dream sequence, or conversation and introspection. Bergman had two major hits prior to Wild Strawberries, Smiles of a Summer Night, which we just discussed, and The Seventh Seal, which came out earlier the same year. But these three really start to kick off Bergman's style. I mean, I think by this point, yep. we really have a good handle on what is to come <clears throat> excuse me, as we move forward through his work. Now, Matthew, I'm going to yes. lead you in with this. All right. Is Wild Strawberries a film about a man at the end of his life reaching a point of no regrets? Or is it about surviving one's past by remembering it and processing it so to accept the present? Or do you have a different interpretation altogether? What are your thoughts here? I'm going to answer yes. <laughs> so... Uh, no, I think it's both. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping when it comes to the, both of those. It's funny, I, your your description of it, um, I, thus me, me saying the college campus is located in Bummerville. Um, it's, it is a, it's an old man road trip picture along with a nostalgia picture. When I say old man road trip pictures, you could also put in, and here's your film festival, this film, Harry and Tonto, and the straight story. Oh my old, god, dude! I thought of the straight the story the whole time I was watching this too, and I haven't thought like I hadn't thought about that movie in forever. But yeah, that's rated David Lynch, friends. That's yeah. what you should check out. That I think Disney put out year, <laughs> the same year. There was a G-rated David Mamet film, but that's another discussion for another time. I I have a dear friend from college who is a film instructor down in Georgia, who uh, who who's basically. Uh, one of the things that one of the nicknames I have for him is Mr. Fuck Nostalgia. The exception to the rule is Wild Strawberries. Um, as you mentioned, Dr. Dr. Borg is, is going on this trip. And uh, for, again, this was a film I first saw in college. And so I'm like, okay, old guy on the road. And that's kind of what I thought of it as. Uh, you you described it much more eloquently than I would have. I think I did the, it's like the uh, the Griffin Mill pitch in the player. Like, old guy on the road, there's no cat. You got to get a young person in there. You know, you got to throw in like Jules and Jim for just a little moment. And then, you know, an angry couple. And there's Max von Sydow as a gas station attendant. Okay, move on, move on. But um I, I I said many years ago, and I'm, I'm going to be long-winded in my answer. I use the example, as I said before, the, fil the film doesn't change, you do. I always said, I think the, the big chill should be watched every five years. Because uh, I was 13 when that film came out. Great acting, grown-ups in turmoil. 
that that's kind of what I got out of it. And great soundtrack. 18, same thing. 23, I had a friend in college who actually committed suicide. So that there was a there was a connection to that. Then getting married, then having kids, then getting a job, then getting gray. It there's something new that you get out of it. And as I'm now getting closer and closer to Dr. Borg's age. <laughs> Um, and looking at the number of years I've been in business, you know, working and thinking about what has worked and what has not in my existence and trying to do the right thing for my 19 year old. I'm like, yeah, this, uh, this, this can hurt, this can sting. And, uh, you do, you, I, I'm going to borrow a quote from pre 9 11 crazy Dennis Miller, where he's like, nobody finds God on prom night. It's when you've painted yourself into a corner so far off that you, 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 you throw out a life preserve or you call for help of, of one way, shape or form. And I think he said, you know, you found God. Well, apparently God didn't see you coming. And, and so watching this, here's a guy who's trying to, I think, correct himself uh, along the way, and he he gets remind you know not just the dreams, but he gets reminders of this based on who he picks up with like, the jewels. I like to call them jewels and Jim, and and the the middle aged couple who are you know yelling at each other, and, and also dealing with his uh, his daughter in law who's who's his pregnant daughter in law who is his traveling companion on this. Um, I think everybody wants to have a clean third act, you know, to make up for. The, you know, the, the, your first act where you're developing your second act when you become an adult and you probably make a lot of shitty decisions and then hopefully you have a nice tight little bundle when the curtain goes down. That's, that's kind of, that's, it's a very long answer, but that's what I think of when I, when I watch wild strawberries, especially <laughs> at, at age 51. Yeah, uh, dude, I gotta Sir? tell you this. I gotta tell you <laughs> yes. this. First off restoration looks so great i mean God, absolutely so incredible so good looking but i'm i'm getting i'm already digressing <laughs> at the end of the film and this doesn't spoil anything i'm just going to say this yeah. you if you've seen it you know yeah. isaac looks at marianne his daughter-in-law as he's laying in bed and he says i like you marianne and marianne looks at him back and says i like you too i could not hold back the tears Dude, I have never had this experience with a Bergman film, and I've seen this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is your thing of art doesn't change. You do. I watched this. I thought this movie, it made me laugh, and it crushed me. Yep. Dude, this movie is perfect to me. Like, I adore every aspect, and this is, for a long time, this was my favorite Bergman. This and Persona were, like, at each other's, like, necks. Sure. Where I am right now, of course, I'm going to keep watching and it'll probably change. But yep. like this is tops, dude. This is perfect. And I think it's a great kind of gateway movie to get someone in if they're into this type of dialogue driven kind of uh, self-exploration. Life you know, choices. Yeah, yeah. All of those things. I mean, this is dude. This is tops. And I have more to say, but go ahead. No, the ending, the ending is the way you bring that up. It, it reminds me for you, for you early 80s Hollywood folks, is, is uh, the final father-daughter moment in On Golden Pond. Mm. And it also, it also really, really helps that you have a real-life father, real-life daughter doing the scene. But when she finally calls him dad instead of Norman and hugs, you're like, oh, God, what yeah. a... What a Falling kick to the chest, and uh, yeah, this this film has that that same ending of uh, just something as you know you, you forget how powerful your words are because we think they're just words, and then three simple or four simple words can make a hell of a difference. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm getting. At. I mean, you just nailed it. It's like I like you, I like you too. Those are we say that to people all the time. Like that's nothing. All the time. But it's it's yep. because Bergman knows how to develop shit, and I talk about development all the time on this show. That because... should be in the that should be in the Criterion press kit. <laughs> Bergman knows how to develop shit. Just yeah, hyphen cool. Austin Glidden. Um, yeah, I want to be. I want to make sure that I'm coined for that. But the point is, dude. Like, I talk about it all the time because we watch and review like newer movies all the time. I'm like, there's no development here. Like, yeah, it's it was fun to watch, but this is bullshit. And I watch stuff like this, and I'm like, four fucking words. Matthew, four words 
lead me to tears because they develop oh. it and it's a callback to something earlier. And dude, I, I mean... Th- I've been in a very nostalgic place in my life lately. Maybe I'm in that that mid thirties, you know, reevaluating my life period, which I'm the happiest I've was, ever been. But I was going to ask you, what, how old of, how old a man are you? I'm 36, and I the beard makes you look older. It looks good. Well, good. Thank you very much. I am I am perfectly fine with with beginning to to gray and 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 you know get older. I'm perfectly fine with it. And I'm happiest I've ever been. But you know, I had a, a weird life. Growing up, but I didn't get to experience a lot of things a lot of people did. So I've been, I, I saw this video, random caveat that it bring me back here. Fine. <laughs> but I, I saw this video that a friend of mine in 2003, whenever he was in my class, I didn't go to high school though. I'm a, I'm a homeschool dropout for high school. I went to public school through middle school, and then my mom was freaked out because someone got beat with a hammer at the high school, and then she like homeschooled me. So they had this like weird Christian homeschool thing because my family was like all involved in, in the church and my grandpa was a pastor and everyone in my family went to the church. And it was all this thing. And so I didn't get to experience prom. I didn't get to experience all the high school stuff. My formative yeah. years were in a youth group. All right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even if people <laughs> want to bitch about their high school time, I just wanted the, I want the opportunity to bitch about it. Do you get what I'm saying? Right. Like, I didn't have yeah, I that. Do. So I'm thinking about all these things I'm seeing in this video. It's like 90 minutes of just, like, shitty camera work that this guy's just filming the last day of school, right? And I love <laughs> it. I'm riveted because it's like I didn't live this. I don't know any – like, I know so many people here, but I don't know any of these teachers, any of this stuff. And all of this to say, you know, I had this weird nostalgia for something I never experienced. And I, I just, like, got me really heady about all this stuff. Now, I'm not so much now, but – uh, the past couple of weeks have gradually been less, but go ahead. I, I get it. I, I, um, I, I teach when I'm not doing this among other things, I I've been teaching a music appreciation class for middle schoolers. And I was talking about this with some other camp counselors. That's a long story, but with the middle schoolers, I always talk about, and talk about their musical journey, your musical path. You're going to, and one of the, one week, one of the last classes we had, we discussed, Music that you loved and then you absolutely dismiss because you get into your teens and you develop different choices and, you know, you think you're going from, you know, pop bubblegum to serious music and eventually you'll come around. And and so I said, and, and they gave me examples of stuff, songs they absolutely love and they can't listen to now. And I always say to them, because, uh, and I'll get to the 19 year old that lives in the house, of there's 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 the moment when you're in middle school or elementary school and you're either home for break or home for summer or you're sick at home especially like if it's a sick day you'll go back and i said what do you watch and they said stuff that you would and and it all came the same thing stuff that we watched when we were kids you know sesame street pbs stuff that you would deem you would at school say oh that's for babies and I'd say that's nostalgia. That's the first step of nostalgia. Any kid, and I was one of them, any kid who f- visits an elementary school while being in middle school or high school to middle school or college to high school, or co- I mean, I, I graduated Ball State and I stayed for an extra semester to work. That's a part of the nostalgia. I, my daughter just finished her first year of college. I'm thinking about what I was doing in the summer of 1989 after my first year of college. Yeah, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of looking back. And and there's also the, I'm, I'm going to side, side rant for a minute, sorry. But sure. um, there's the story of, there's or the study of, for a lot of people, they stop listening to new music in their college years. That's fucking terrifying, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. That really is. Think about you. Know, so think about what you were listening to high school, and college, and then, and then you stop. Now, granted, I also have work in radio where I'm constantly listening to new music in my field of of love and appreciation. But man, that's terrifying. That's like you know anything: music, film, theater, literature, art. Just stopping. That's, that's unfathomable. Yeah. And, and, and so the fact that, you know, you're in your mid thirties, I'm in my early fifties and yeah, we, you start to look back a little more and uh, it's okay. But I, but I also know like my buddy who says, you know, F, fuck nostalgia uh, or fuck the big chill. And, uh, and I, I, I get that, but I think every, everybody's process of looking back is different. And 
you know, do you attend the high school reunion? And of course, in your case, you want at least the ability to say, I'm not attending in a reunion. Yep. Um, yep. And, and I, I get it. So, yeah, it's a long, long rant, but everybody has a different, everybody has a different relationship with nostalgia. And this is a great example of one of those stories. Well, that and also just uh, looking back on life. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. Wild Strawberries is probably the best example of a Bergman film that I can think of to do what you said, where every five years, if you were to watch it, this is, this movie will change. And, and uh, dude, I I feel like I could go on about this movie for a very long time (laughs) because this is like, this is now my like favorite thing ever. So what I, I'm going to start here and we can talk about this. I, I have several notes here, but I love that Isaac starts off, and, and this is Dr. Borg, uh, yeah. Isaac Borg. Isaac starts off as an asshole, okay? Now, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll come back to that in a second because we don't see that, really. But you you very quickly realize people think he's an asshole. Okay? And, and, that's a tough, and that's a tough sell at the multiplex. Yeah. You're like, you know, there is, there is a term that has been said in my house. And so I was like, why do I want to spend time with these people? Yeah, and it's as especially in a play or where you're stuck in a building, you're watching it. But yeah, you're like, if you're a bag right out of the gate, I mean, that's a tough sell. So the turnaround has got to work. Yeah, well, I mean, does. Isaac starts off as an asshole. Marianne, his daughter-in-law, as I mentioned, you know, uh, tells him the story in the car. She confronts him basically because he asks, and um, her like, you know she was basically confronting him about his response to her reaching out to him and saying, Hey, me and your son are having relationship problems. And he basically just tells her to fuck off. In other words, like I, that's your problem. It's not mine, but we don't see this, Matthew. We don't see this part. We hear this in retrospect. So what I love is Isaac seems like some sweet old man. Right. And, and, and Victor, Victor, uh, Herstrom was like 78, I think, or something uh, in this film, uh, late seventies at the least. And, uh, you know, he, uh, and this was his last film, unfortunately. What, what film. a film, yeah. What a great What guy. a way to go out, right? Incredible. You think about, if you think about the great cinematic codas, and I mentioned Henry Fonda and got on Golden Pond, Spencer Tracy in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, uh, Clark Gable in The Misfits. This is, this is up there. This is a guy whose film credits go back to 1912. Dude. And Bergman, and Bergman was one of those guys he, I mean, it helped that he had really, really talented core of players, but he also had great, he also looked for great faces. And this dude's life is all over his face. Yeah. And, and dude, I, I got to say too, with, with that, Bergman was a huge fan of these silent films, like you said. And he was yeah. always, he was a traditionalist to the end in terms of he always remembered where Swedish cinema came from and he always incorporated. Uh, Always. The, like that golden era that they call from like 1912, 13 to about 19, early 20s in Sweden, Swedish films. He looks so fondly. So you see that a lot in this. You get a lot of those close ups that are made for like the passion of Joan of Arc, right? Like these yes. like brilliant, <laughs> these brilliant close ups um, that you would see in a silent film and you get them in these films. And anyway, so, dude, I love that Isaac seems so sweet. And then, you know, we learn about him through stories and we learn he's a complete asshole, but you don't ever see it. He's all I mean, he, he has a few generational things like he sees he sees Marianne start smoking in the car and he's like, oh, I hate when women smoke. And it seems like the very old crotchety like this is my generation thing, but he never comes off like a complete heel. You know what no, I mean? And I think I think American film, you would, or not just American film, I think lesser filmmakers, no matter what nationality, you would have flashbacks. You would have flashbacks to show what a bag he is. And now and you can kind of figure it out. We all have those. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a Rashomon. Your, you know, this person's yeah. vision of you is different than this person's from your relatives to who lives in your house who you work with, who you go to school with. Everybody has a different biography of you based on their own encounters. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 we get that here, even with new people who talk about yeah. it, like the trio, the, the Jules and Jim. Jules I'll and use Jim, your, as I like to call it. Yeah, yeah, I'll use your language here. The Jules and Jim, like, 
they learn more about him just through being on the road with him. And so you're getting their perspective of him, both when they first met him and thinking he was this larger than life character. And then they realize he's like a super legit dude being honored. And, you know, and then he's just like a friend. He's just like Uncle Isaac. You know what I mean? He's just this guy. And so, uh, I, but what I love is that the the character is built, and all the facets that come with that character are built through these stories, through these flashbacks, through these dreams, which everything has meaning in the film. And so you start to see these things unfold, and it builds this three dimensional character that is so expertly performed by Victor Herster. I think his face, like you said, the face tells. It's his whole life right there, right? Like, you know, he is certainly a grizzled actor. And this dude plays this part like the best actor you've ever seen. I think he embodies Isaac perfectly and tells this story wonderfully. Let's start there. What do you think of Isaac or Victor well, Herstrom? And I think I think there's, you, you put it very, very well of, he, he, you know, 90, and many actors said 90% of acting is reacting. Yes. Um, he, Victor doesn't have to act the stories that are told about his character. He just has to be, you have to, you have to develop in your head how you feel about this person and this character. And all he's got to do is be stable, steady. Um, it's, it's an underplay performance. Yeah. He does not have to act up when somebody brings this up or somebody, but even, I mean, even the, you know, the smoking, the smoking complaint, that's what old people do. That's yeah. what young people do. But, uh, but we have all of this history about this character and he is just holding it close to his vest, keeping it real, keeping it rooted, does not have to perform. We, we, we watch his life through his face. Absolutely. And so, you know, he lets the Bergman, and Victor let the audience do a, and and really the other actors they tell the stories and we do the heavy lifting. Absolutely, yeah, and and I love like I love you talked about the acting is reacting, which I love that phrase. Ever since I heard it, I've used it because it really is my favorite performances is really largely that is how people respond to the other actors and whenever Agda the uh, the housekeeper that he keeps around when they're bickering at the beginning, most of oh. that performance is not being he's mostly just asking questions like wait you think I'm rude or what, you know, and she just is like going off on him and it's all just his reactions. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, but also going back to my thing about he's an asshole, but we never see it. Even when people bring up these things, it's all in his face. You're just seeing him kind yep. of tackle these things introspectively. He's never rude to them saying like, how dare you call me a jerk or how dare mm -hmm. you say you don't like me or whatever. He's always just like, oh, I'm sorry that you don't like me. You know, like that sucks. You know, He's always just so sweet and reserved. And I just love it. Yep. I've, I've learned over time where somebody will tell a story about me. I'm pointing back. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned I've reached a stage in my life where you just kind of shrug and go, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's that, that's me. Yep. Unfortunately, so, I'm not there yet. <laughs> You'll you'll get there. You'll get there. and boy, this is by the way, this is what you have to look forward to. Just don't eat and drink as much as I. But this is you know this is what you have to look forward to, and eventually, and and that's why there's that thing of eventually you reach an age where you don't care, and that's where and then we get the freewheeling, filterless old people characters that are on American movies and TV. But you know it's kind of the perks of being here long enough. Of who have I got to impress? Who do I have to prove to anybody? So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, another thing about this movie, Wild Strawberries, is is Isaac uh, has a late wife, Sarah. And uh, Sarah is played by B.B. Anderson in these flashbacks. But B.B. Anderson is also one of the uh, Jules and Jim. It would it would be the uh, what's her name? Uh, um, uh, Dean Seberg. No, that's not her, is it? It's um. Oh, sorry, I gotta check. Sorry, we're, welcome to the new wave, French new wave portion of Ingmar Bergman. Oh, uh, uh, Jean Moreau. Oh, Jean Moreau. Oh, okay. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. Sorry, I got man. obsessive and I had to pause. Everyone, you know, we're we're, we're on but, track. By the now. way, you you were mentioning Melinda, Melinda, Larry Pine was the guy with uh, <laughs> yeah. long shots. But no, there's yeah. First off, BB Anderson. Yes, uh, Roy Orbison growl. You heard that. Um, great that she gets dual roles because that's how Victor sees her. Yes. And that's a, that's a nice, that's a nice touch. And yeah, guess what? 
eventually after a while older older straight guys well just older guys like to look at younger prettier things and and it's it it's we're not succubus we just like to hang out and look at pretty things so and that that's a love i mean the the, the flirtatious banter between victor and her um i've done it i will continue to do it i hope i do it when, i hope i'm still able to do it when i'm victor's age um but I, I totally get that. It's there's, you know, I think as a kid, as, as a college kid, there's there might be a little bit of ew factor because he's, you know, he's talking with this young girl, and there you there may or may not be some thoughts in his head. But now I'm now that I'm closer to Victor's age, I'm like, yeah, I, I wish I wish there was a, a BB Anderson hanging out with me, even just for a little bit. <laughs> See, that's so interesting. And maybe I just missed it, but I never thought of that direction. I always thought of her as this point of nostalgia because she reminds him so much of Sarah and which, which could be part of where that like familiarity comes from when they talk yeah. because uh, of his past. But it's, it's, it's less about uh, this pretty young, again, not saying you're wrong, but my interpretation well, no, I, is, but I, but I think, even if you, even if you were a man of a certain age to say you remind me of somebody I chased and it's, yeah. he's, he's not going to try to chase her and it could be from her end going, well, that's cute or, oh, that's okay, fine. But, you know, and, and, but I, or you could just say, I'm not her just to be yeah. absolutely clear and blunt on that of I'm not her. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I like not only does like Isaac have this, like, interesting relationship with her but also marianne the 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 other actress the uh daughter-in-law which i yeah. love their dude their whole journey through the film because obviously it, it evolves you know it's so great but also i i think of you know isaac being an asshole we meet his mother at one point she's a complete jerk um and <laughs> Yeah, and she's like 90, which in real life, that actress was actually younger than <laughs> Victor. But it's Harry Grant's mother in North by Northwest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. And and so, uh, but, but you know, we got that. Isaac is the only remaining sibling of 10 children. So he's watched nine of his Man. family members die, okay? Uh, he did something kind, I guess, to the gas station attendant played by Max von Sydow, of course, really... Uh, he's a legend. Way to come off the bench, Max. You you went from playing chess with well, and, I, and, and like I said, Bergman had a great core of players in movies, in TV, on stage, and so and you learn as a troupe, as a company, you're the lead in one production, and they're like, hey, can you can you come off the bench and just do a scene? And you do it. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that with Orson Welles and of course, Scorsese had a troop for a while. And yep. you have like yep. these people, Coen brothers have a bunch of people You're that they bring in. You, you know how they work. They know how you work. It's about the interesting role. It's about working with the people. It's not always star power or getting your name above the title. So, but yeah, it, it was just like, Oh, Max, hey, there's Max Moncino. Good to, good to see you. And it is such a small role. Yeah, but, but you know, clearly he did something nice for this this couple at the gas yeah. station because they give him free gas. And then, you know, and <laughs> but then at the same time, you know, Marianne describes him as, like, terribly earlier. So we get all of these things, and we, we like, we don't know. They don't talk about what it was like when he lost his sibling. Like, you don't, but you, you pick up these things because they bring them up at certain points. And it feels all on purpose, like very intentional to have all of this information there because you can start to really put uh, Isaac together. And I'll get to the dreams in a moment because that's a very big part. Of, that's like a very uh, inciting incident, basically, of the of the movie. But, um, but I, I think also if you tell somebody, I mean, it's one thing for one sibling to die, but to say nine, nine, and 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 you know, having having one sibling is a different dynamic than having nine. And and it's and it's not just necessarily just a cultural thing. I mean, you you can we talk about the the stereotypes of the Scandinavian and Swedish, or it's you know internal. And I I brought up inner turmoil, and you know suicide rate is huge. But you know losing nine brothers and sisters, there's not a lot of people that can relate to that. Yes, you can lose one or two, or depending on your household, but nine. Yeah. And you're still, and mom's still there. Yeah, he's, you know, it's it's fun when I hear somebody younger than me, not you, of course, when they say you're old, you know, they're feeling old. And I always go, well, if you're old, I'm ancient. You know, <laughs> and if Victor's old, 
Victor's mom's we mom's playing chess with death on yeah. the beach. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it sucks when you lose nine siblings and you still have an asshole of a mother alive. She's the <laughs> worst. She is the worst, yes. Matthew. She's the worst. <laughs> I hate her so much. But you're not supposed to like her. Of course, she's like a plot device to help develop. It, yeah, it's, like it's kind of low hanging fruit in that case. So, man, but and, and his son sucks. <laughs> He's surrounded by sucky people, except for Agda, who just gives him a hard time all the time. He doesn't understand why, but she has every right because he's an asshole unintentionally. And that's what I love is I don't think he intentionally does anything asshole. This is just a product of his experience. This is just a product of, of his, his life. Of his assholeness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a product of his asshole. Um, and, you know, I just I love that we see him develop. And as these things are brought to his attention and as he relives these moments and again, the dreams, which we'll go into in a moment. Yeah. You know, uh, he starts to realize like, wow, you know, I'm at the end of my life. I recognize this and mm-hmm. I'm ready to actually realize not only who I am, but I'm ready to have some closure so that when I go, I have no regrets. And I agree with your answer when I asked you that question earlier. I believe both are true. <laughs> And um, if if any film of of Bergman's deals with existential fears, sexual anxieties, and demonic visitation, this one fits into the trio, okay? Because yep. because these dreams are like demonic uh, visitations, you know, like they're 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 nightmares. But what's interesting, though, real quick, before I I'll pass it off to you in a second. You know, sure. um, what's interesting is the dream sequences are so bizarre, and they're surprisingly effective as dreams. I think. And, and like, not only because they feel like silent movies, you know, like uh, the first one, at least that the helps. first one is like uh, this weird, bizarre, silent film. Uh, and I, I would just watch that movie. Uh, but like, also they don't make sense. Like they're, they're, it's, it's like the opening of eight and a half, you know, or, or, or Stardust Memories. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but it's a dream. It's floating. Yeah. yeah you there's start- all this weird stuff, but that's like dreamlike because no one's questioning this stuff either. It just is. No. And that's how our dreams no. are. Like, why am I walking around with my underwear and I'm fine? And I'm, you know, I'm at the horse races. I don't like horses. You know, and is it's just like. Is that Sharon Stone blowing a kiss at me? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You got it. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, there, there is that aspect of you dream something. You And it's funny because when I have these dreams, if they're very, very vivid, and I will roll over to my, my lovely wife and say, okay, dream analyst, this happened, this happened. And she's pretty good at, at hitting, well, it's probably because of this or it's probably because of that. But um, when we think about our mortality or our immortality, I think quite often the first if, if, unless you have a person of faith, unless you have a priest or a pastor that tells you, but more likely it's your doctor. Like if your doctor says you got to change this, or you have this much time to live, or you have that. So as far as gearing it, so the fact that, that Victor is having dreams that's saying, Hey, you better, you better change your shit. Um, as opposed to an official person or some other person of some authority saying, you know, maybe you should think about changing something. Um, I, I also think of the line that we go back to Woody Allen in play it again, Sam, when his wife leaves him and says, my lawyer will call your lawyer. And he goes, I don't have a lawyer. Tell him to call my doctor. <laughs> um, so, so the fact that he's thinking about this already, and this is, this is his own realization as opposed to being prodded by a doctor or a priest or a lawyer or a, a, a loved one or what have you, you know, the, the sibling thing dying. Yes. Mom being, you know, uh, getting in the tangles with the Grim Reaper also probably helped. Maybe getting the award. The fact that he's getting this award after so many years. An honorary award for 50 years of service. Imagine how that would make you think. How were those? What? No, I just said, I said, think about what that would be like at that age. Because we have to also recognize this real quick. Uh, Victor Herstrom himself is in the position that Isaac is in. He's sick. Yep. He was sick during the filming of this. He's he's not fully healthy. He has to be thinking of his own mortality. He has to have some existential dread to some extent, just being a human being who's not fully healthy at the age of, you know, 78. Again, wh- whatever age you I think he was 78, but I think he yeah, I think he died in like 1960, but I mean, but and we as we mentioned earlier, it's like what uh, Spencer Tracy I think died 
two weeks after filming um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, The Misfits was Marilyn's last film, Clark Gable's last film, Mont- Montgomery Clift, he would eventually soon go. But, I mean, no, those are some really hard cinema codas. And, yeah, you're right with, uh, with Victor of... Um, you know, that's a long ass time in the business. Yeah. And, uh, I just can't, this would be his final film. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I just see a lot of, when I was watching it, I kept thinking of him as a person. You know, he's been in the business since the, the teens, the 19 teens, you know what I mean? And silent yeah. film. So, you know, he's probably getting Swedish honorary awards as a guy who's been in the business for however long, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think of it, even I, though he plays a doctor, you know, in, in the film, it's like, I, I can't imagine, what it would be like playing essentially yourself, you know, in this thing. And I, I know we get that in a lot of movies, but this is, this is a, a different ball game to me, you know? Yeah. It, it reminds me of when, when Peter O'Toole got the honorary Academy award for his career. And he even said in his acceptance speech, I, this is nice, but I want to win it outright. And then the next year, even though he didn't win it, he got nominated for Venus. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's that thing of, of yeah, it's, and, and, and there's also the fear of, I think, the gold watch, thank you for your service, go out the pasture. Yes. And that's, that's, ter- that's terrifying for some. And I, I know there's people, and you can see the, the, the shelves behind me, it's like, for a lot of people, their work is their life. And, you know, how many people have we heard about who have retired and soon after died? Yeah. I mean, that's a statistical thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. like, you know, when when people lose that thing, I, I, I just because I'm a big nerd, I think of wrestlers like wrestlers never retire. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like they always Burn come back. Ganya. Yeah. Don't 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 share a hospital room with Vern Ganya. But yeah, the, the that's why we're happy when somebody like Dwayne. And John, to a certain degree, you know, if you can get out, your limbs are still, you're not, nobody's turning into Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. There's enough of them out there. I, yeah, but I'm totally with you. If you can get out while the getting's good and your, your brain and your limbs aren't pudding, uh, thank God, man, go for it. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I, I just, I, these dream sequences, especially the second one, which I forgot entirely. I thought the one dream sequence was the opening. Which again is the one that's like a silent film, and it's it's really great. And you have the clocks with no hands, and the weird squish faced balloon guy who uh, cracks his head open and literally just bleeds. Like, which was so shocking to me when I first saw it, because we're talking about yeah. a 1957 Swedish drama, and it's like this horrifying, just blood gushing out of these clothes. Um, and then you see the the the. Uh, the casket fall out of this this carriage that's being dragged, and it's him, and uh, you know, and he's he's now chal- I mean, this is going back to the existential fears that I brought up before, and uh, but man, the second one though, after you've yeah. seen these flashbacks, and another thing, by the way, they never use a younger version of him; it's always just oh. him, and I think yeah. that's a really important thing because we're seeing the now. Isaac reflecting back on these things as he relives them in these flashbacks. And I think that's really important. Uh, but man, that second dream is really take that hammer. Take that hammer horror. Check that out. Or is, is it you, since you made the analogy, it's like, it's like watching Ric Flair get off the top rope at age 60. Yeah, dude, like, dude. Ouch. <sighs> dude, r- real quick. Another wrestling aside. Yeah. Sting yes. uh, was uh, actually had an in-person yeah. match. It was really great by the way. But he got suplexed on the stage. He's sixty-two. That and he would doesn't hurt. Do the, he doesn't do the stinger splash anymore. Yeah, he does. Then, yeah, there's no. He does the stinger splash. He won't did take. He, did he? Okay. All right. Yeah. No. He he looks sorry. He looks sorry. great. No. 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 He he looks great. We we should all look that good if we're battered in our sixties. But that's a, <laughs> it's a different type of battering. Yeah. Anyways, we're talking about wild anyway, strawberries. I, any chance I get of wrestling, I'll talk. Where about Where else it, can but. you? Where else but medium cool can you? Well, I would show. <laughs> you mix professional wrestling with Ingmar Bergman. Take that. There you podcast. go. That's that's my that's that's the new uh, elevator pitch for my wrestling uh, promotion. Is uh, there you go? You know Bergman and wrestling. Anyways, uh, th- this dream sequence I think is is. Th- I don't think there's anything particularly scary, just like just happening. But I find it so haunting. Like whenever he goes yeah. to examine 
the woman and she just like looks at him. He thinks she's dead and he, she looks at him and starts laughing and he can't read these words. They make no sense to him. And when he looks into the, the, uh, uh, magnifying glass or whatever, and all he sees is his own mm -hmm. eyes looking back at him. And it's just like this weird, like, he's like, I, he can't even remember what like the code as a doctor is, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I can't remember. And it's like this idea of losing yourself and, and, you know, like, like, uh, everything he knows is is leaving. It's like fleeting, right? Yep. Dude, I, incredible. And I think going back to what we were saying earlier with Smiles on a Summer Night, where we say it's a comedy, but it's not ha-ha, yuck, yuck, fall down, go boom. These are nightmares that are not going to make you scream in an audience, in a packed theater house, which we'll get to someday. But I think just looking at it, going, dude, that's fucked up. <laughs> that sometimes can be more horrifying than, you know, a chainsaw through your chest yeah. as far as a scare or a fear back uh, factor. So, yeah, I think I think those those Bergman dreams are, dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. Have you have you seen the Beastmaster from the 80s? I, I saw it in the theater. That's awesome. I saw it in the hey, hey, Tanya you don't Roberts, hang your head. Mark Singer, John Amos. Yeah. Don't they, you hang your head. You do no, that with pride. I, I need to re I need to revisit it, I guess. Me too. Me too. It was it was at the two screener, and that's what you saw in the giant head thing with the oh my I'll God. just say this yeah. the Beastmaster in my head is awesome, so I don't care. But they put they put <laughs> they put those glowing green things in their ear and the yep. guy goes crazy. That's that's what these nightmares are for me. Like that, like you watch that's him. Another side podcast is you know in my head it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Bummersville, and, and in my head this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably awesome. I haven't seen it in like twenty years, but like <laughs> like you know it, his these nightmares Isaac experiences are like those weird green worm things that go in the ear. Yeah. Because it's like it just it like stews in my brain like i'm watching him and i understand what he's struggling with and i'm like thinking about that i'm like fuck man that's a bummer like this is like i love this but it's like at the same time it's just like man like he is really struggling with this part of his life that he has not recognized for so long mm -hmm. dude i can't put this movie over enough i actually like really love this and i've never had a bergman movie move me to tears and the end yeah. of this movie did. And and dude, because he, he can be very stiff. And by that I I, I, yeah. I by that I mean cold, stiff. I and, yeah. and, and part of it is part of it is his style, part of it is his upbringing. And man, you know, if you look up Ingmar Bergman's upbringing, dealing with his family, dealing yeah. with religion, um what what we what film and theater and television have benefited because of what he went through. It's like, thank you, Ingmar. You did a lot of physical, emotional, heavy lifting to bring this onto the screen. And, and it's one of those where like, I'd love to do that. I'd love to make seven seal. I can't. And, <laughs> but he did. And thank God he did it for us. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot. By all means, just I mean, I don't usually encourage people just like go check out Wikipedia, but just go check out <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's Wikipedia. Just read the early life. It's not very long. That'll give you a few yeah. little tidbits of of the things. Um, but man, so the the last thing I want to bring up, and and I'm open sure. to any if you have anything else, are the close ups. Now now Bergman is known for these incredible close ups through his entire career. These very yep. meaningful, powerful close-ups. And I love earlier you mentioned like, you know, he puts these things on screen and we do the heavy lifting. And that's such a yep. great way to put it because because that's that's what Seven Seal does. That's what this film does is you are putting this movie together because all we're watching is an old guy on a road trip with like these like weird eccentric like group of misfits or whatever. And. It's so much more than that. And I never got that when I watched it before over 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Right. And that's and that's where if if you're a budding film student in your teens and 20s and listening to this, first off, thank you. <laughs> you're a very patient <laughs> person. But uh, yeah, and, and, and on paper, again, it's like old guy on road trip. And that may not seem exciting. It will eventually. You, we'll wait, or the movie will wait for you. I might not be here. Austin will be here. He's a young man, younger <laughs> man. 
But I mean, uh, it, it'll be Victor's age. But but there but there is something about that, and so um, how you hit it at the right time. Um, I, I on a side tangent of um, I was fourteen when I really really got the Bruce Springsteen. Born in the USA had come and blown up. And then uh, at that time, and still do, I'm, I'm like a sponge. I want to see what else has this guy made. And I went back and got the catalog. And hearing Born to Run, which I think is the greatest rock album, along with Exile on Main Street by the Stones, but uh, being 14 and hitting that sweet spot because it was about getting out. Get you know that there's where the, the title comes from. If you listen to that song, you know, growing up in Flint, Michigan, I wanted to get the hell out, and that song was that anthem. If I was younger or older, it might have been different, but it hit. And, and everybody has a film, an album, uh, a piece of art, or a play that hits you at the right time. And Wild Strawberries, it may take a while. Unless you have a quote-unquote old soul. If you can appreciate the plight of what somebody of a certain age is going to have to go through or is going through. Um, one, of the, one of the best plays I've ever directed, I got to direct it twice, was Horton Foote's The Trip to Bountiful. And it's, uh, you know, the film version, Geraldine Page won Best Actress for it. The great Horton Foote wrote it. And it's about a woman and, and a woman in her 70s who just wants to go back to her hometown in Bountiful. And it's not a sexy sell at the multiplex, but it's, you know, everybody should have, a, as I mentioned before, a clean third act. Victor wants this. Doc, you know, Dr. Dr. Borg wants this. And Mrs. Watts wants that. And I think, I think eventually, whether you think about it or not, Everybody wants a clean third act. Sure, and yeah. and that's and that's what a lot of what Wild Strawberries is. Yeah, I, I, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm on your bus, and I'll say this: uh, I, I think Isaac does get a beautiful third act where uh, we get a an incredible close up. It's a close up that Bergman has stated is his favorite close up that he ever. It's the best close up he's ever done. Can you explain why something happened right there that uh, hadn't any other time? How do you, what do you attribute the close-up to? Anything you said to him? The circumstances were very bad because he was uh, in, a, in a very bad mood because I had promised him uh, that uh, uh, he said, yes, I will make the picture with you, but under on, on one condition, I will be at home every day 4.30 to have my whiskey. 4.30, yes, yes. Yeah. And this day, we, we, we had to ask him to stay because, because of the light over, mm -hmm. over the landscape. And he was extremely uh, in, 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 a, in a bad mood and quarreled and was angry to me and said, you have promised and, and I can't get my whiskey. And I said, you can't get my whiskey here. But he said, no, it's not the same. I want to go home. I want to, to take off my clothes. And I was to sit in my morning and I want to have my whiskey. And then, so, and when we, we, we worked under, under, under pressure and, and uh, we were both of us a little bit angry and, and suddenly he said, no, uh, let's take this scene now. And, uh, and uh, we, we put up the camera, you know, and he, he was sitting in a corner. And then I, I said, Victor, please come now. And he said, "Yes, I come now." And he he came out. It, it's it's out. It's just outside the studio. This is uh, the last scenes are are, are made. And then, uh, and he said, um, "What do you want me to do now?" Very angry. I said, "You see your parents." Aha! Uh -huh, I see my parents. And then I said, "I I I had already the feeling this will be a catastrophe." But we we have now we have to take it because I have urged him the whole day and I I, I had lost the battle and I, I felt very felt very guilty and suddenly I said camera and and go on and suddenly we got this Which, and that's saying a lot I if was, you know if you know Bergman films I was just about to say that exact thing because because <laughs> that's what I mean if you look up a still 
you might see the persona kid touching the screen. You know, you might see a few others, but you're going to get the persona, one person looking one way. And you, but these are all close-ups too, but there are these other more haunting kind of isolating close-ups that he does, uh, especially the Max, uh, the Max von Sydow. Like you can just Google Max von Sydow Bergman movie, and I guarantee you're going to get some great close-ups that tell a whole story. It's the picture paints a thousand words kind of a thing, right? Um, but... I will say this to wrap up Wild Strawberries. If you're interested and have never seen Wild Strawberries, you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's also streaming on the Criterion channel right now and the other places I mentioned before. You can rent it on YouTube and uh, I believe Apple uh, TV Plus as well. Um, I I don't even know how to put this movie over more. I, I can't stress enough how, like, if anybody's listening and like you were talking about, if you if you are a, a budding cinephile and you're you're working on it, if you watch a Bergman film and you're not into it, please don't for the next 20 years say, ah, I saw that I wasn't into it. Please yeah. revisit. I'm telling you as someone who did that thing, okay? <laughs> like, please revisit uh, as we've both kind of been encouraging all of our listeners to do because I'm telling you, man, this movie hit me like a ton of bricks, and I hope it remains a five-star movie for the rest of my life because this was a wonderful experience that I honestly had no expectations for prior to revisiting it. Go ahead and send us off. Uh, what do you want to say? Well, as, as, you know, kind of carry on what you said, think if it is a film you have seen, think about the last time you watched it and revisit it because you're older you're different, hopefully, and uh, and see how it works with you this time. Yep. I don't even know how to finish it off any better. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for this episode, Matthew. And um, yeah, tell them where they can listen to you again, because you have a you. The show is also a podcast, film sociology. Tell them yes, about that. Uh, thank you, Austin. Yeah, film sociology, S O C E Y O L O G Y. Um, available at wfyi.org slash podcast. It's usually up Friday evenings, uh, depending on what time I get up. I get, I'm get i on the air from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Friday. So once I get it up, sometimes it's Friday night, sometimes it's first thing Saturday morning. But um, it, we, it, it's, I still haven't been to a movie theater for a film screening in since the pandemic i'm hoping to get there very very soon so there's a lot of going reading what people on facebook and twitter have watched plus the videos have been sent to me i'm currently going through um oh the guy who created uh monster go go bill rabane the films of bill rabane django the sergio carbucci movie you oh, know so yeah. to go from bergman to fellini to django that's uh, you know it's and and also laughing because i'm I, i'm doing a whole diatribe about movie stars that appeared on laughing um again the struggle is real so um you know i i, I do as much as i can as far as online new films and uh, I, I recently, uh, a, a colleague of mine from WFYI has retired. So I replayed the entire one hour discussion we did on the film, The Hollywood Nights, because these are your pledge dollars at work. We go from Ingmar Bergman to horny teenager movies from The Hollywood Nights. That's what you get here at Film Sociology. <laughs> that's the best. You can also find it on uh, Apple Podcasts because that's where I get those updates. I don't yes. know if they're always up to date, but you can... Uh, yeah, I think they're on Spotify. I'm an yeah. old person because I listen... I, my, you know, my office, if you can see it, I look like Michael Caine and Children of Men. <laughs> um, I have my physical copies. I just want to be... I want to be... Um, I want to be Burgess Meredith without breaking my glasses or going deaf in the twilight zone. So I'm good. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, Matthew. Thanks. Awesome. All right, everyone. Uh, that was our replay of the Wild Strawberries conversation I had with Matthew Sosi. I wanted to take just a moment and talk a little bit about some upcoming episodes. You know, we have the Academy Awards um, covering films of 2023. It's uh, I think it's March 10th, if I remember correctly. And um, so we are going to start next week by covering three of the Best Picture nominees. Our goal is to do this within an hour. Good luck. 
And then, uh, so on the 27th is the goal uh, when we, as long as nothing stops me, uh, the 27th, that Tuesday, we should be dropping an episode covering three of the Best Picture nominees. Uh, and then on the 5th, we'll do three more. The reason that there are six instead of 10 is because the other four, we gave, we dedicated quite a bit of time to them uh, during our Best of 2023 episode with Matthew Sosi, uh, Joe Shearer, and I. Uh, so we talked about those quite a bit. We talked about uh, Oppenheimer, uh, Barbie. Um, what else did we talk a lot about? It doesn't matter. The point is we talked about some of those uh, too much. So uh, we are going to be focusing on the six other ones. Uh, Poor Things is one of them that we did talk about, uh, but I didn't have a chance to see it. I still haven't seen it. My hope is to see it um, before the fifth, which would, or not the, yeah, the fifth, which would be the last episode before the Oscars that I could talk about it. Hopefully I get an opportunity to see it. Um, but the Zone of Interest is available to me. I've seen American fiction and there and uh poor th- or um not poor things uh past lives uh, the act uh, or the um uh the anatomy of a fall like th- these movies uh, i've seen and i would like to talk a bit more about um i think anatomy of a fall uh, you know what's funny is i should just have this stuff pulled up right now but the point is surprise you're gonna hear about it uh, next week and the following. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I will talk to you soon, but until then, good night, good luck, and take it easy.